Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is the Bee Podcast. Hello, Bee Podcast community. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Today, I meet with Lindsay Ebert. Lindsay is a wife, a teacher, a business owner, and a mother. I think often little girls dream of being just that, a mother. And it was no different for Lindsay, but her journey in getting there proved to be a winding road full of heartbreak and joy and anger, among many other emotions. So today, Lindsay shares with us her journey in miscarriage, infertility, and IVF. So please join me as Lindsay shares her unique and wonderful story. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Bee Podcast. Today, I get to be here with Lindsay Ebert, who um, I actually, you were actually my cheer buddy in high school. I don't know if you remember that, but I do. I do. (laughs) (laughs) So Lindsay was a senior when I was a freshman, I believe, and has always been a great role model. She has had some incredible... Yeah, she's had some incredible experiences as an adult, however, that I think can kind of be an encouragement to women across the board. So Lindsay Han and her husband have dealt a little bit with infertility and IVF, and so I've asked her to come on today and talk to us a little bit about her story, what that looked like for them, and the end of their story. So Lindsay, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, Cami. I'm excited to be here and share the, share about this topic. Um, I am a wife and mother, obviously. Um, and I am a fifth grade teacher here in Ottumwa. I teach at Liberty as well as just recently became a small business owner with our online boutique as well. So um, busy life with all of that. Our daughter is three, so she keeps us on our toes. And um, yeah, just just uh, and you da- know, living the dream, <laughs> right? Um, and the the name of your boutique is Daffodil and Daisy. It's on Facebook, yes. you guys. So definitely check it out if you are listening. It's Daffodil and Daisy. The logo is a hanger with some daffodils and daisies around it. It's super cute. Yes. Yes, so Thank definitely you. go go shopping with Lindsay. Okay, so Lindsay, let's start at the beginning. So tell us about your process of getting married and starting a family and what that looked like for you. Sure. So um, my husband, his name is Ben. Um, ben and I got married in July of 2011. And um, we had been together for quite a while before we got married. And so we had kind of decided that right after, you know, right away, we were ready to, to start trying to have a family. Family. And um, we actually, you know, quit preventing, I guess you could say a couple months before the wedding. Um, and then wanted to make sure to like really start trying after we got married. Um, and it's, it's strange, you know, think, you know, thinking back to when you're a little girl and you are playing with your dolls and thinking about being a mom someday, or even as you're growing up through teenage years and, and becoming a young woman, you don't ever um, 
think about becoming a mother as something that's never going to happen for you. It's just something that you're, you think like, yeah, that's what I'm going to grow up and do. Um, and so going into this whole starting a family, I was really naive in the fact that that's just, you decided you wanted to have a family and you just got one. Um, and right. so we started trying right away after we got married in July and um, the first cycle or two went by and didn't have success. It was discouraging, but nothing that like made me worry or, you know, kind of get upset yet. Um, we just kept trying or whatever. And the cycles kept ticking by, the months kept ticking by and um, it wasn't happening and wasn't happening. And so as each month went on, it got more discouraging and more discouraging. And the months seem like it's just, you know, three or four months pass and it seems like it's been three or four years, you know, when you want something badly like that. Right. So we got to um, probably about six-ish months of trying with no success. And I, I reached out to my doctor's office because I thought, this is kind of weird. Maybe they'll tell me something. Um, and so I called my OBGYN's office to kind of check in with them and was met with the um, reply that they didn't do any type of um, doctor's appointments or anything until have been trying for a year without success and we weren't at that point yet um so that was the first time that it was really like I I thought that this could be a, a long road ahead sure so yeah so then talk about what what that road looked like for you what what were your what were the issues that um that came about after that yeah so we tried for another six months um, to make it to that year mark and didn't have success. And so the year mark rolled around that we had been trying. And so I called the doctor's office again and said that we were, we reached that point. And so they brought me in um, to kind of do an exam and check things out, make sure everything was okay. And so their initial pelvic exam showed that everything would be fine. And they did a couple um, blood tests on me to, to check a couple of different numbers and um, hormone levels and thyroid and those types of things. And um, everything was quote normal. Um, and so my doctor said the next thing on the list to check out would be to have a procedure done that's called an HSG. Um, and I had never heard of those before, um, but I went, you know, I said, sure, you know, I want to figure out if something's going on. And so I went ahead and scheduled that and didn't know what I was getting myself into there. It's a test that they do to make sure there's no obstructions or abnormalities in the uterus fallopian tubes by, um, laying you on a table in the x-ray room and they inject this dye so that it completely fills up your uterus and goes all the way out into your fallopian tubes um which sounds like not a big deal <laughs> but when that actually happens um it's it's one of the most painful things that i've ever physically painful things that i've ever experienced sure so then you have this i mean surprise you have this awful pain so then you're I mean, how was, what was recovery like from that for you and what followed? So, um, I didn't think because nobody made it seem like it was going to be a big deal. Um, I went to that by myself and, um, my nurse that was there next to me, she did such a good job. Like I had tears streaming down my face as I'm laying on this x-ray right. table and right. the doctor that's performing is like, okay, now can you roll into your left side for a picture? And I'm in so much pain. I'm like, no, I can't move. And up her nurse is like rolling me around for me so that so that they can get the pictures and things done and um recovery after that 
really, I had some cramping and some spotting, but it wasn't any, anything major once it was done. Um, and then right away they were able to read the x-rays and see that there was no, um, there were no obstructions or abnormalities. Everything again looked quote normal um, as far as what they were seeing. And so no real answer as to why um, we weren't having any luck. However, my doctor mm -hmm. told me that typically in women that have never been pregnant, if they have this HSG procedure done for whatever reason, it kind of opens things up and cleans, clears things out. And they, he has seen a number of women have success right after that. So that was kind of encouraging to hear. Okay. Right. So talk about that then following at following this procedure, talk about, um, did you have success? Were you, yeah. So did you still have to wait? It was the very next cycle after, um, I had had that procedure done that I, um, was late. And of course I was tracking everything on an app on my phone. And so I knew like right mm -hmm. when I was supposed to start my next period and it was late. Um, and so I waited a couple of days after it was supposed to be due and it didn't show up. And so I took a at home pregnancy test and it was a really rapid positive. Like it, it turned positive right away. Um, and I was so excited and couldn't wait to show my husband. And we were just like, um, so incredibly excited. Like it was, it was one of the most joyous feelings, um, seeing that positive test after waiting over a year now to get that. That was, so this all happened in the beginning of September, um, of okay, 2012. Awesome. And so, yeah, it was, it was super exciting. Very super encouraging. Um, and you know, yeah. we, um, you know, I use the word naive a lot in describing this, the beginning of this journey for us, because you don't ever think just like, I didn't think there would be any problem with, you know, starting a family and getting pregnant. I never would have dreamed there would be a problem once you actually become pregnant. That's not something. Right. That's so far out of your mind because it's not, I mean, those aren't things that are nor like you're, you're normally supposed to experience when, you know, you're, you're thinking about these things as a, as a child. Right. Yeah. You, you're Absolutely. just in this naive blissfulness of like, this is the way it happens. And I finally, you know, I waited a year, but it's finally happened. And so this is it. We get to start a family. Um, and so I didn't do any of the like waiting until it's safe to talk about or until the first trimester was over. Um, I did wait until I had gone to the doctor's office and they confirmed with blood tests that I was, that, um, I was pregnant. And so they called me back and said that it was, and I was like, fabulous. And so, you know, we told our friends and our family and, you know, I, it was just such a, a happy time. I was so, you know, already looking forward at the time, excuse me, we still had Target here in town. And so, um, you know, going through the baby section at Target oh, yes. and, and thinking about things and thinking about the future and is it going to be a boy or a girl and what are we going to buy and, um, you know, just enjoying that, what I had been waiting for for over a year. Yeah. Excitement. Um, so then yes. it came time to schedule my first ultrasound to check on how things were going. And of course, um, you know, we, like, like I said, naive to everything. And so um, my husband was actually going through his apprenticeship with his um, job. And so he was at class in the Quad Cities. Um, and so I said, it's not a big deal. We're going to have plenty more of these. Like, it's don't miss your class. You need to finish this. Um, and so he was in the Quad Cities. And I went with my good friend, uh, Jackie Baker, to this, um, my first ultrasound. I thought, you know, that'll be great. Jackie's done this before. She can go with me. It'll be fine. And so I went in with all of this anticipation. Yeah that you could imagine um laying there on the ultrasound or yeah on the table to do the ultrasound and 
the the technician put the wand over my belly and looked around for a little bit and couldn't really find much. And so she's like, okay, well, you're still pretty early on. This is, I was nine weeks in the middle of nine weeks along. Um, and so she said, it's still pretty early on. Maybe we'll just do it vaginally and get a better picture there. I thought, okay, you know, no big deal. Um, and so I, I changed my clothes. We tried it that way. And I could tell by the look on her face almost instantly that something was wrong. And the way that the medical system is set up, the technicians aren't allowed to talk to you, or at least at the time, weren't allowed to talk to you about what they're seeing. Um, and so I, I knew that something was very wrong by the look on her face. Right. And she said, um, you know, she never pointed out there's the baby's heartbeat or, or anything like that. And so um, I knew there was a problem. And she said that uh, your doctor will be talking to you in just a little bit back in the exam room about what's going on. And as soon as she told me to get dressed again and left the room, I just looked at Jackie and just, you know, started crying and knew. And um, the nurse came back in and led us back to the exam room. And that's when the doctor told me that the baby had stopped growing and there wasn't a heartbeat. And this was about a little less than a week before, but based on measurements that we had lost the baby. And so that's like having everything ripped out from under you, all of that joy, all of that excitement, just feeling completely, I mean. Yeah, it was the, the big, like the biggest emotional crash that I had ever experienced, you know, going from all of this anticipation and hopefulness and joy just to this ultimate sadness that you, it's hard to even put into words. Um, and so I'm, I'm crying by this point, obviously, and um, I don't have a great memory about exactly how the conversation went for the rest of that, that, um, appointment, just because I, I don't know, my, my mind kind of blocked a lot of it out. I do know, um, that it wasn't a great experience with my doctor. Um, she was forceful in wanting me to make a decision about what I needed to do. Um, you know, I had options of either getting a DNC um, or taking a medication to induce the miscarriage since my body wasn't miscarrying on its own. And, um, you know, really wanted me to make a decision so that we could get it scheduled. And I just couldn't, I, I couldn't wrap my head around that. And so, um, thankfully Jackie was there. I wasn't by myself and she spoke up and advocated for me and said, you know, she just needs a minute to process everything that's happening. She doesn't have to make a decision right now. And I'm just right. so thankful that, that she did that for me. Um, because in that moment I, I couldn't, do that for myself. I mean, you're kind of frozen, just right. numb. I I don't know what my what what I'm supposed to do next. Like right, what? and a lot of me, um, I was in denial. I thought, you know, they've messed this up. They looked at it wrong. This can't be the case. Um, and so ultimately, what I decided to do was to um, to to double check. To I said I wanted another ultrasound. Something you may have missed something. Um, you know, whatever, and. I could tell that they, you know, they didn't necessarily want to do that, but that it was my choice to have that done. And so they did go ahead and schedule the um, next ultrasound to double check. And so we went a few days later to do, to go back and double check. And um, it confirmed, you know, that we had lost the baby. And that's when I went ahead and didn't want to think about doing any type of, you know, surgical procedure, anything like a DNC. So I just said to go ahead and, and make out the prescription. I'll get it filled and, and go about it that way. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to pause you right yeah. there because what, 
I mean, holy cow. So you have you you know that you're going to take a pill that is going to induce labor for you and you have to I mean, you're going to the you're going to the drugstore. You are getting it filled. You are taking it home. Explain, talk about I mean, for women who have possibly experienced this, talk a little bit about your process with that. What what was going on in your brain? What how emotionally were you I mean, because it's so easy to, I mean, you've, you've done this and you've told your story so many times and you've been so vocal about this and how it needs to be, how, you know, miscarrying needs to be talked about and not brushed over. Talk about that, that whole experience of. Yeah. So, um, yeah, miscarriage is, is just a taboo subject, um, for, a reason that it, it, I will never understand because it is not, um, it, it's common, you know, one right. in four women will experience pregnancy loss and it is not something that is the fault of any woman that's ever experienced that. Mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of why I would love to see this taboo surrounding miscarriage go away. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was, um, Numb is a great word to describe a lot of what I was feeling going through those motions of, you know, getting the prescription filled and and bringing it home and knowing, you know, what was to come with that. And um, I don't know, it was a lot of surrealness thinking like, sure, okay, I got pregnant, the baby started growing, it grew to, you know, eight weeks along, and then why it just stopped growing what happened what did i do um and then knowing that not only it it felt like i was failing in a lot of ways because not only did i take so long to get pregnant once i finally got pregnant my the baby stopped growing so somehow i screwed things up you know with staying pregnant and then beyond that my body couldn't even take care of the miscarriage on its own like i had to have medical help to to you know, finish the, the, the miscarriage because, or start it even, um, because my body wasn't doing that. So your self-talk, yeah. So your self-talk at, in that moment, I mean, in those moments had to have been super self-defeating. Very. Just, just dark, just a dark place to be. And it, and here's the thing, ladies, if you're listening to this, or if you have experienced this one in four, one in four women will experience this. And it is, it has to be a dark, it is a dark place that you don't have to be or experience alone. There are yes. so many women. <laughs> I mean, one in four, one in four women experience this. And so take comfort women because holy cow and the, the whole process, you know, I mean, obviously it's not something that you're going to put on a t-shirt and wear around that says I had a miscarriage. Um, right. but I, I I wish there was something more a way um, to get that out there and talked about more because it wasn't until that, you know, because Ben and I had told everybody that we were pregnant before this happened that, you know, then I had to go back and tell everybody that we had told that I lost the baby and doing that, I discovered, I already knew there were tons of women in my life that had experienced miscarriage um, that I had no idea about before this happened. And I'm so thankful that they felt open enough with me to share that and and try and help me through it. Um, But I wish that women, because there are so many women that um, when they get pregnant, they don't tell people about it. And so when they go through a miscarriage, 
they don't have to go back and tell people they're experiencing that. And so um, that was kind of a, a good thing for me that we had told so many people because it was able to allow those, I was able to allow those people then to tell me about their experience. And if I wouldn't have had that, like so many women right. do, um, I would have never known about all of these other women that were already in my life that had gone through something similar. Um, and so that's why I just feel like, it, like I said, it, you know, it's not something that you walk around with it on your t-shirt talking about all the time, but it needs to be something that is easier for women to talk about because it is um, going through miscarriages is a lonely, isolating experience. Um, even though I, I have a great husband and he was there for me as much as he possibly could have been, um, I, there's never been a time that I felt more alone. Sure. I have absolutely. So I love what you said about that because I think some people sometimes think, you know, I, I told people too soon and we ended up losing the baby. And then I had to go back and tell people, which could be, you know, kind of like a foot in mouth sort of thing, or they experience mm -hmm. that kind of regret. But I think it is important that you did hear in those in those times where you were feeling especially lonely that then other women felt safe enough to say hey you know what me too yeah for sure and i know that that a lot of times people don't tell early on as a way to protect themselves as kind of a just in case um but you know sure. looking back and in hindsight now um i am not somebody that um thinks of it or looks at it that way just because of my personal experiences um because it's easy for me to say now when I was going through it, I wouldn't have been able to say that. But looking back now, it's not like going back and telling those people like, hey, remember I told you I was pregnant. Well, now I'm not. I lost the baby. First of all, there's no shame in that. There's nothing that I did wrong to cause that, mm -hmm. even though at the time it felt right. more shameful, um, which is what I'm hoping to to help end um, for, you know, I don't women should never feel shame in, in losing a pregnancy because there is absolutely nothing to be shameful about with that. Um, but then the other thing is it didn't make the sadness anymore. I already felt as sad as I possibly could about losing the baby. So it's not like having to tell somebody about it made it more sad. Um, you know, it, it's not like I lost the baby again. Okay. And so, um, for, and it's a personal choice, but for me personally, it, you know, it will never be about like waiting till a safe time to tell somebody, um, but rather just, uh, enjoying it while I've got it type of thing. Um, and then sharing that joy for as long as I have it. Oh, I love that so much, Lindsay. Just appreciating the moment of having that joy. That's that's really yes. big. That's really big. Okay, so we kind of got off there, but I think that that is, yes, no. I think that's so important for women to hear that, you know, no shame and it's common and seeking community, especially. So, okay, let's For kind of, sure. let's not, let's like, I guess, briefly go through um, what followed and yep. then we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So um, that was um, in October. I found out I was pregnant in September, uh, went through the miscarriage and, and lost the baby in October. Um, and so we took a couple months to allow my body to heal, um, you know, trying to help me mentally and, and physically heal and move forward and, and making sure that that I was okay. And it was very sad and upsetting and um, traumatic. But at the end of the day, Ben and I still wanted to become parents. And so, you know, after a few months had gone by and, and had started to heal, um, we tried 
you know, for a couple more months with no success, you know, just on our own. And so I um, went back to the doctor's office and had said, you know, this is where we're at now. It's been, you know, a year and a half-ish at this point that we've been trying. Um, what's our next steps? And so our doctor was able to prescribe us um, a medication called Clomid. And looking back now, I didn't know at the time. I just trusted my doctor and, and said, okay, and followed the directions on how to take the medication. But it's a pretty um, serious medication that should be monitored a lot more closely than it was with just my regular OBGYN. Um, and it's a medication to help with an ovulation problem with with cycles. And I didn't have an ovulation problem. And so really, um, it was three cycles, three months or so of kind of wasted time for us because it wasn't going to fix what was going on anyway. Um, of course, I didn't know that at the time. And so we went through those medicated cycles and no success. And so met back up with my doctor and said, okay, what's next? And he um, referred us up to Des Moines to a reproductive endocrinologist, a specialist, an infertility specialist in Des Moines. Um, and so that was a whole new um, feeling of anticipation and excitement. I thought, you know, okay, now we're actually getting somewhere. Now we're going to go to a specialist that is going to help us get to the root of what we are experiencing. And so um, we went there, more blood work was done. You know, my husband had been tested for a, a several different things at this point. We both, both everything that we ever had done came back quote unquote normal. Um, and so by this time I had been diagnosed with unexplained infertility, um, which is kind of, it feels like the silliest diagnosis because it's like, it's a diagnosis. It's not really a diagnosis. Like, like you almost want, you, you want to have a name for it, right? Right. Yeah. Like, not that I want something to be wrong with me, but it seems like if, if there was, and we could figure out what it was and fix it. Right, um, right, yeah, put a name to it for sure. But, you know, we were normal, and so we just kept moving forward. So the next steps with my um, specialist in Des Moines were to do IUIs, intrauterine insemination. Um, and so they take a semen sample from my husband, wash it out, make sure they have like the best sample, um, and then they would uh, inseminate me with that you know, based on a timed medicated cycle of when ovulation was set to occur um, to kind of try and create a perfect storm. So we went ahead and lined everything up and the first cycle was ready to go and I have ovulation prediction kits at home and we're doing all of this stuff and, you know, waiting for the day and it arrives. So much excitement and anticipation and just, um, you know, ready to, to, tr to give this new thing a try. And so we did, and really that procedure is pretty um, painless as far, you know, if you've ever had a pelvic exam done, it's, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing more, it, it's nothing beyond that really. Um, and then you just hang out there. Which by the way, everyone needs to be getting pelvic exams. Yes. <laughs> if, if you're listening and you haven't, you should do that. <laughs> Go schedule one right now. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that cycle um, came in, so then you have like, it becomes known in the world of infertility as the dreaded two-week wait. So you have ovulation figured out, and then you get to wait two weeks for the baby to hopefully implant and start, or the embryo to implant and start growing. Um, and then you get to test and find out if it worked. And so there's this, first of all, I should have bought stock in pregnancy tests and ovulation kits, but you know, hindsight's 2020. Right. Um, I'm certain. 
but there's this whole, like, you don't want to test too soon because if you test too soon, like before your body's ready and it's negative, then there's this whole feeling of disappointment when, about a negative when maybe it, you didn't have to be disappointed. And, but you, you just want to test every single day until you see that second line appear and, um, lot, lots of, of peeing on a stick. That's for sure. Um, so anyways, the first one came and went and I tested and it was negative. Um, and so obviously we were disappointed, but it was set up to do three rounds of IUIs before we would regroup and talk about our next, um, next steps. And so, so did you have to go through all three rounds? Well, so we went through the first one, didn't work. The second one, um, you know, went through the same steps or whatever, waited the two weeks, took a test and a, a second line appeared. And so I'm like, Hey, we didn't have to go through all three. This is excellent. Finally, we've, we have gone through all of this crap, you know, over the last two years. And now we have reached a point where it's happening. Um, and so they called me in to do the blood work to confirm by blood test that I was pregnant. And I was, um, but when the nurse called me back, she said that they call it a beta number or where they're measuring the HCG hormone in your blood. Um, she said that it was lower than what they um, wanted. I want to say it was like 26 and anything 15 or above, they said is considered pregnant. So I was above that 15 mark, but they said where I was in my cycle that they thought it would be a little bit higher than that. But what they do then is you wait two days and you come back in and it should have at minimum doubled. And so I went back in for the second blood draw and she called me back and my number had gone up to like a 33, I want to say, or something like that. And so I was like, oh, it went up. That's exciting. Um, but I could tell by the sound of her voice that it wasn't exciting. And she said that based on where I was in the pregnancy and the fact that my number hardly went up at all, that um, it wasn't going to be viable. And so here we are again. Um, you know, I'm thinking, great. What she said, you know, give it over the weekend. Right. And if nothing happens, give us a call and we'll talk about options to basically, you know, induce a miscarriage again. And I thought, oh, fabulous. This is, this can't be real. This can't be happening. Um, and it was later on that night that um, my body actually did what it was supposed to as far as starting the miscarriage on its own. So I didn't have to take any medication or anything for that one. Um, but I was going through miscarriage number two. And if the first one felt isolating, the second one felt like I was the only human on the planet. Right. I mean, oh gosh, to just feel, yeah, completely alone or, I mean, even I'm certain your self-talk was even darker at that time. Um, yeah. Wow. So it was, um, it was just like devastating doesn't even begin to touch how it felt to hear that. And then, or even to, or even to, you know, know that, yep, this is, I know how to do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I shouldn't know how to do this. I, I shouldn't know this. I shouldn't have this knowledge on what this feels like or, right. or how isolating this is. I, I shouldn't, this isn't a thing that I should have to deal with. Right. For sure. Um, like the, like the, the why me. Oh, yeah. so many whys. So many times I asked why why is the universe doing this to me why me why does this have to happen to me what did I do wrong and you know none of those things are accurate it, the universe wasn't doing it to me I didn't do anything wrong it's just part of nature sometimes and um in the moment you know I would have never believed anybody saying that 
it felt like, you know, I talked about feeling like a failure earlier. And if the, the overwhelming sensation of feeling like a failure after the second one, you know, you think like, I am a woman, my body is designed to become pregnant and grow a baby and have a family. And the thing that my body is supposed to do, it won't do. Um, so I talked, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's all right. I was just going to, you would, you had mentioned a little bit in a previous conversation that we'd had about, I mean, as we're just kind of diving into the mental aspect of this particular struggle, you had mentioned in a previous conversation about a a conversation that you had had with a colleague. Um, Can you, can you kind of shine light on that? Remind me the conversation, Kami, I'm sorry. So the conversation, she had recently become pregnant. And your reaction to that was? Oh, so that was actually um, the following summer after this. Um, but anyways, it was it was uh, summertime and a group of colleagues um, had gotten together for a lunch at a restaurant and, you know, just talk, catching up, talking, how are people doing, that type of thing. And a colleague that had actually had some of her own issues in becoming pregnant shared her happy news with everybody that she was pregnant and they were expecting a baby and um, everybody was just so excited for her as they should have been because, you know, any t- whether somebody had struggled with infertility or not, hello, they're, they're having a baby. That's super exciting news. Um, I was not, I did not meet her with excitement. I um, had tears instantly and I got up and walked out of the room and went into the bathroom and I had, anger and frustration and jealousy. And I, um, I thought like, why would she make that announcement with me in the room, knowing everything that I've been through? Like how self-centered does that sound now looking back on it? Right. Well, um, here she is sharing her fabulous news and I'm concerned about how she had the nerve to share that in front of me. (laughs) But I also think that it's really important to know that, as I think as women, we have a tendency to put ourselves, put pressure on ourselves to react in the best way possible and be that, be like basically the picture perfect female where we do just automatically share joy for one another. But reality is sometimes you don't, and sometimes you are met with, Mm -hmm. and that's a very real thing. And so I think it's important for anyone listening who is possibly um, going through these things to know that those reactions when you hear of other people's pregnancies is that's a normal reaction to not don't stifle your emotional don't stifle that feeling for yourself because I feel like it's very normal and for us to kind of skim over that I think is can really be detrimental to our mental health and our negative self-talk yet again you know so allow yourself it's know that it's okay to be angry or jealous or frustrated or sad when you hear of other people's, uh, I guess, I mean, if they're sharing news about a new pregnancy, that's okay. Yeah. And it's difficult, you know, going through that because, um, you try to give yourself the grace and, and understanding that it's okay to feel this way, but then you stop later when you're in a, uh, when you're by yourself or you're in a place where it's easier to reflect and you're like, how, I feel like it's harder even on your own self-talk because I feel like at least for me, then later I'd think to myself, like how horrible of a person am I that I just reacted that way, 
you know, I couldn't be happy for somebody that I knew. And even after rationalizing, like I've gone through a lot and it's okay for me to feel anger or frustration about this. Um, you still have that voice in, in your head that's saying like doubting yourself, like, yeah, but you shouldn't treat people like that. And it's, I don't, it's very hard. Um, it's a complex set of thoughts and emotions. It is. And then you feel sadness about like, I was in a place where I had to like some of my close friends were that had children were having birthday parties or things, um, gatherings where their, their kids would be there. And I would have to cancel and say, I'm sorry, I, I can't go just because being around small children like that just hurt. It hurt seeing them with their families and wanting that and having that jealousy, but it hurt because, um, when you're the adult couple at a gathering with everybody else that has kids, the number of times that people say like, so when are you guys going to have a baby? Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. no, it's not. And, um, you know, people's family planning, unless they offer it up to you and wanting to share their business, you shouldn't ask about their business. <laughs> um, because, and it's one of those things where people try and be helpful. You know, they're wanting to, to make happy small talk or whatever, but starting a family isn't small talk. And uh, um, you never, because you never know, you never know. And every time I heard that question of, um, oh, it's time for you and Ben, everybody else has a baby or when are you guys going to going to have your own. And, you know, it just felt like somebody was ripping my heart out every time I was asked that question or, or given that statement. So, um, yeah, just, <laughs> so then ha I'm certain that you've had lots of people trying to be helpful. So in that process of people sticking their noses into your business, how did you learn to cope with that? Um, at first it was just kind of like a laugh it off, like, um, probably the most common thing that gets, at least in my experience, that gets said to women that are trying to get pregnant and not having success. If people know that that's happening, um, the most common thing that I received is, you know, advice from, quote, advice from friends is um, just stop, stop thinking about it. Stop stressing about it. Relax and it'll happen. Yeah, right. And that's, that's not reality. That's not how it works. I know some people think, like, there are people deep down inside that think that's how it works. Like, just stop thinking about it. And when you stop stressing, that'll happen. And I get that people have like examples of when that has worked, but really that's not sound advice and that's not how it happens. Um, and if I would have just quit thinking about it, I never ever would have gotten pregnant. Um, I had to very consciously think about the steps that I was taking in order to get pregnant. So um, not good advice. <laughs> no. And I think it comes from a place of meaning well but um if you are talking to somebody if you're listening to this and you are ever in a position where you're talking to somebody that is struggling with infertility and struggling to get pregnant and have a family um and if you feel like you need to say something but you're not sure what to say just let the that person let that woman know that you're there for her and that's all you have to say i'm sorry to hear that you're struggling or whatever and i'm here for you right um, way more powerful and meaningful than just don't think about it and it'll happen. Yeah, that's not a thing that's helpful for sure. Um, okay, so Lindsay, you've, we've had some really wonderful pieces of just good information for people. Um, so then, okay, let's, let's, I guess let's fast forward a little bit to when you 
finally, let's fast forward to the success. The, the Let's talk about that. Well, yes. And I will put in real quick before we get there that um, yeah. we had given up the IUIs. We had, we tried our third cycle. It didn't work. Um, we, we quit medication. We quit IUIs. We just thought, you know, let's take a step back or whatever um, and just do, you know, try at home on our own. A few months after my second miscarriage, well, more like five or six months after my second miscarriage, um, I had stopped tracking and stopped charting and all of those things and realized that I was um, later for my period than I thought, than I initially thought I should be. And so I went ahead and took a test and it was positive again. And another one of those like, you know, woohoo, we made it type of things. We, another positive pregnancy test. Um, however, all the, the blissfulness had been taken away with two previous miscarriages. And so I still had this kind of like cautious, like, be careful though, because you waiting for the other shoot. You've been here before, you know, what could happen. And so I called the doctor's office in Des Moines. I said, Hey, I got a positive home pregnancy test. They said, well, let's get you in for your blood work to confirm. And when she called me back to let me know my numbers, it was over like six, six or 7,000. And the last time it was like 22 or whatever. And I was like, Oh my gosh, gosh. like, this is like, I finally let myself get really excited. Like I did that very first time because I was like, that number is huge. This is awesome. Um, We finally, finally, finally got there. um, Three years after we started trying. Well, little did I know, um, after I had my follow up to make sure my numbers were rising appropriately, she called me back to let me know that my number had actually decreased and gone down. So miscarriage number three was on the way. And you know, they just progressively felt more, more sad, more, more isolating. It, it just, I was spiraling into a place that was unhappy and unhealthy. I was unhealthy physically. I was unhealthy mentally and emotionally. Um, I, I was gaining weight. I wasn't caring. I wasn't doing any self-care. Um, I was just letting myself go to a really bad place. And, you know, I never actually went to get therapy or spoke to a counselor, but I was probably living through depression without ever being diagnosed with it because I didn't seek that out. What I did do was join a com- an online community for a group of women, kind of like a message board of, it was called uh, trying to conceive after loss. And it was the only place and the, the only thing that I looked forward to conversations that I looked forward to um, because it was with a group of women that had gone through very similar experiences to what I was going through. And it was the only time I didn't feel completely alone. Um, So again, if you're listening and you have experienced or experiencing pregnancy loss, just know that even if you don't want to seek out help from a counselor or a therapist, um, because I never did at that time in my life, knowing what I know now, I probably would have if I could go back and do it all over again. However, there are places through the internet's a wonderful place Um, But there are so many other outlets for support and people to talk to and a sense of community. And with these online message boards, I could be anonymous. Like they, they knew me with my online presence, but they didn't like know me. Um, And so it was really easy to just talk and vent and, you know, those get togethers where somebody shares a pregnancy and it's just like a punch to the gut for you. These women get it and you can tell them about it and they can commiserate with you. And so then with these communities, you know, after you share with these people about, about these things and they, they commiserate with you, they're able to then provide you with 
you know, in their experiences, things that helped them get through it and, and cope better. And, you know, those like management type skills that, or just ideas that maybe you hadn't thought of and somebody else that's been through it can share with you. And so um, reach out because there are places to get support. It doesn't have to be isolating. You, it doesn't have to be lonely. Um, even though going through it, it feels like the loneliest point of your life. Um, so then, you know, fast forward, it took, it, it ultimately took several months in order for my body to finish that um, miscarriage on its own and my numbers to get back down to zero. And so while that was happening, um, I just kind of stopped, stopped. I just, not that I didn't want to be a mom anymore, but I was in such a bad place that I just couldn't do this anymore. You know, I ultimately was concerned for my own well-being as well as, you know, I feel like my husband was very concerned for me. He, you know, he was trying to be there for me as much as he could be. And he did a great job with that. But I think he was worried about my mental state and my, you know, how this was taking a toll on me, as I'm sure it was taking a terrible toll on him too. Um, but he was trying to be the strong person in all of this as we were going through it. So we just stopped. I, I started focusing on me and trying to, you know, become healthier again over time. You know, this took a little while to get to that point. And things still hurt, you know, pregnancy announcements still hurt. Things would pop up on social media that would hurt. But I slowly was getting myself back to a place where I was handling it better and managing my feelings and emotions and things better. Right. And so we just kind of put family on the back burner. And it wasn't until um, it was over four years after we had initially started trying to have a family. My boss, my principal approached me actually with um, a scenario where long story short, there's possible adoption and she thought of us right off the bat because she knew what we had been going through. Um, and so I said, I will, you know, talk to Ben and we'll see. Initially, when we very first started having trouble getting pregnant, neither of us wanted to go through adoption. We had kind of talked about it here or there as we went through this process, but we had never really given it a serious thought until this situation presented itself. And we both decided, you know, maybe this is how we were supposed to become parents. And so I told her, you know, yeah, that we would be interested in that. I spoke to some people about getting like daycare arrangements set up because the baby was going to be there soon. Like this wasn't a lot of a plan time. I spoke to an attorney about things that we would need to do and get ready to go. And over the next like week to 10 days, um, after we had started making all those arrangements, uh, my, my principal came back to me, you know, and said, I have had a conversation with this girl that she knows, you know, through this long line, whatever. Um, we spoke to her again and through the, the grapevine, it was passed down that she has ultimately decided that she wants to go through an adoption agency so that everything can remain anonymous. Um, and so that was really kind of, um, it wasn't as crushing necessarily as the, the miscarriages had been, but it, it was still, it was still disappointing. Um, you know, we had let ourselves kind of open back up to the possibility of having a baby and then it was taken away again. And I understand her, her choice. I, you know, after having my own child now, I would, if I were ever going to give a child up for adoption, would want, it would want to do it anonymously too. I wouldn't want to have me or somebody that I know run into my biological child potentially one day. I don't know. It's just kind of an, uh, right. Yeah. No, understandable for sure. But again, the feeling of like the rug being torn out from 
or being ripped out from under you. Yeah, it just just another another disappointment. However, um, I'm glad that that one happened because it was that moment in getting myself prepared to possibly become a mother through adoption and talking about having a family again that we decided that we were in a better place and that I was in a better place um, physically and mentally and emotionally. And I decided that I wasn't ready to completely give up on trying to become a mother. And so we, um, I called the the clinic in Des Moines where we had been going and I wasn't super thrilled with the service, with the service. I don't know if that's the right word to say, but the, how we had been dealt with there. And so I asked them to forward my information onto the University of Iowa and we transferred clinics to Iowa City um, at the, the university hospitals there. And so they saw me, um, you know, and we had our consultation. They looked through my history and all of our tests. By the way, speaking of tests, I wanted to say this. After we had our second um, miscarriage, I asked if there was testing they could do to figure out why I wasn't staying pregnant. And another little, you know, just kind of gut punch that happens with fertility, infertility and miscarriage is that they will not even do a um, pregnancy loss panel on you until you've had three. So you have to actually experience three miscarriages before they'll start trying to find out why they're happening, um, which, which is totally, you know, it stinks to hear in the, and, you know, not something that you would ever want to have to do. But I also want women to understand that that's how common miscarriage is, that even after having one or two, that's still normal. Yeah, right. And so they don't start looking into if something is wrong and causing it until you've had three or more. And so, you know, if you're experiencing pregnancy loss or have experienced two miscarriages, you're n it's, it's not you. It's not, um, you're not doing something wrong. It's, it's a normal thing and you're not alone in that. Right. That's really good. So, um, anyway, after the, after the third one, we went ahead and did, um, the, the testing. And so on top of our unexplained infertility, we had, um, undiagnosed recurrent pregnancy loss. So it was this whole, you guys are normal, you know, you're quote normal every single time and there's nothing wrong with you, yet this just isn't working. Anyway, sorry, I had to backtrack and throw that in, but. Um, no, that's good information, yeah. So now we're in Iowa City and um, uh, it was March 7th of 2016. So five years after, you know, we first started trying essentially um, that we had our, consultation and they decided that IVF, it, we were good candidates for IVF in vitro fertilization, um, March 7th of 2016. Fast forward a year to March 7th of 2017 and my water broke with my daughter. Um, so just in, I get goosebumps when I say that every time. Right. It's so cool. That's so cool. Um, it was after five years of all of this heartache and loss and sadness and everything. It was a year to the day um, since we started our IVF journey that we had success and we're going to be becoming preg uh, parents. Oh my gosh. So what a journey. Yeah. It's, um, it was a long, long road. Yeah, it was. And IVF, you know, I, I fast forward through that year that we went through IVF, but it is, um, it's so not a much. fast road as far as, you know, there's, there's a lot of hurdles and things to jump through there too, but it was just, although, you know, it's shots, sometimes multiple shots every day and headaches and hormone fluctuation and all of this stuff that's going on. Um, IVF is probably one of the 
the best experiences that I went through, um, obviously, because it ultimately ended so well. And you had such a great experience at the University of Iowa. Oh, my gosh. Compared to Des Moines. Like, yeah, I I knew that I liked the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics for several other reasons before this that me personally and family members and, you know, whatever. But after experiencing the care that I got in the time that the short time that I was in their their reproductive endocrinology clinic compared to the years that I spent at our other clinic, um, it I just can't say enough great things about the, the staff, the doctors, the nurses, everybody the, up in Iowa City. Um, they're fantastic. That's incredible. Oh, Lindsay, I love that. I love that your story has led you down this road. I I remember having this conversation with you a while ago about, um, you were talking about how you believe that everything happens for a reason. And I really love that you talked about after the, you know, ripping out of the rug underneath your feet with the adoption that kind of fell through, you were able to realize and recognize, you know what, maybe I'm not ready just yet. I'm still young. Mm -hmm. I've got lots to give. So I think it's, incredible. And I love your story. And I love that you were willing to share it with us. And you guys, absolutely, I'm going to put Lindsay's contact information out uh, for you. So if you are experiencing this, and you do need someone to just kind of maybe talk through some of your some of your frustrations, or maybe ask questions, because Lindsay knows more about reproductive health than anyone I know. So um, yeah, I just, <laughs> I just am so thankful that you are here to share your story. Lindsay, is there anything else that you want to share with anyone who is listening, who may be, um, going through this particular struggle or anything for anyone? Yeah, just a couple of, of things that, that I can think of, um, you know, and I met, made mention of this earlier is that, um, don't feel like there is shame in reaching out for help at any point, whether you're struggling with infertility or pregnancy loss, um, any of this, there are, you know, great therapists and counselors out there, whether it's in person or teletherapy, but there's also so many support communities and resources online that doesn't have to be something like a counselor um, that can help. And it can feel kind of scary or unknown in the beginning, but I promise you reaching out to people is a whole lot less scary than going through a, a, a journey like this and feeling all by yourself the whole way through. And so there's no shame in reaching out for support and help and, and allowing yourself to just lean on somebody else or a community of somebody else's to help you through it because that's what we need to be doing. Giving, giving, getting that support that you need. Yes. And the other thing, um, Cami, I'm glad you said that you would put my contact information out there for women if they're interested. Um, not that I am the, the end all be all of knowledge on this topic, but I would be more than willing to listen, to try and help answer questions. Um, whatever it is that you want to throw at me, I am an open book on this topic and would love to hear from you if you are interested in that as well as if you have further questions specific to IVF, because I know we kind of glossed over that process, but it's, it can be in depth and it can be super scary. And, and I reached out a lot and asked questions to um, an online community specifically about IVF as we were getting ready to go through it. And so I would love to answer those questions and, and share my experiences further with you if anybody wants to talk about that. Awesome. Awesome. Lindsay, you have shared your story and an incredible story it is. 
Thank you so much for being here and being willing to assist other women through this particular process. I just want to say thank you so much for you who are listening to the Bee Podcast. This is what we are about. We are about empowering women, creating support in a community where you can feel comfortable in sharing some of your most unpleasant experiences because you are not alone. So Lindsay, again, thank you so much for being here. We will catch you next time. Thank you, Cammie. Yes. On another episode of the Bee Podcast. Thanks guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee Podcast. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and make sure to screenshot this week's episode to share on your social media in order to bring awareness to this project. Join our community on Facebook at the Bee Podcast. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cammie Milliken and this has been The Bee Podcast.